I'm Roger Miller, and this is Collective Mass Radio. Hello and welcome to Collective Mass Radio number 11. We get to chat this week to the creators of Magnetic by Nature, a great new uh, Unity platform. The guys achieved their Kickstarter goal and uh, we're really impressed by that. Uh, The game on a whole looks amazing. Their soundtrack is what actually drew me towards them. Um, I listened to it, I got it on one of the, the Humble Bundles and it is amazing. The game looks equally as amazing. Uh, But before that, I just wanted to chat about a small thing that uh, is overlooked in Unity. Um, So in, I think it was 4.3, they released the ability to have scripting defined symbols. So if uh, people are not familiar with this, um, if you're doing a lot of like multi-platform stuff, you must be used to like the the hash if um, statements where you can specify if you're in the Unity editor or Unity iPhone. Now you get to do them yourself. So if you have... For instance, a feature that uh, you want to release on a few platforms, you can actually include your own scripting defined symbol. You'll find the place to do this within um, the Unity um, player settings. So usually where you set the resolution, blah, blah, blah. Um, Further underneath the splash image, you've got something called other settings. And uh, near the bottom middle of the screen, you've got something called scripting defined symbols. There you can set up all your symbols um, and use them in the hash if uh, statements. So for me, um, I used it to specify whether I was testing uh, my game on the Unity remote uh, because it still believes you're in uh, the editor. So uh, sometimes doesn't, um, if you've got a framework that's geared towards the editor, um, you can't let it use the multi-touch support. So I use it for um, setting up whether I'm uni- using the uh, Unity remote. You can use it for a whole bunch of other things. Uh, you can get to this via ed- uh, via the editor using, um, I think, one of the, the settings um, classes. So if you have a build system, you can go ahead and put these scripting defined symbols in your build system um, and, and set up build profiles. Um, so just a reminder, these are uh, straight up Booleans. So if it finds the scripting defined symbol, then it will enable a block of code. If it does not find the scripting defined symbol, it will not. Um, it's also using uh, useful for debug uh, and testing, so you can have a whole kind of a whole bunch of blocks of code that are set up for testing, and you just include the hash define symbol in uh, your player settings, uh, allow them to run. Um, if um, then when you're pushing to publish, then you just take out that uh, build setting, and you're all good. That's my little Unity tidbit. Now on to our chat uh, with uh, Team Triple Slash. Well, welcome to Collective Mass Radio. Uh, today, it is a pleasure to have Paige Ashlin with me from Triple Slash Studios. Um, he's a Unity programmer, and um, they've just successfully kickstarted their game. I think it's Magnetic by Nature. Is that That's right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and um, so we're here to talk to him. Uh, the whole game was obviously written in Unity and uh, has received a lot of good press. Um, the game looks incredible. So I'm going to hand over to Paige uh, just to introduce himself and tell um, us about how we got into Unity. Sure. So I, uh, I guess I met the team uh, while I was still an undergraduate at the University of Utah. And we did kind of like a prototype version of the game in XNA. And right. that we used kind of as a uh, f- proof of concept for our Kickstarter Um 
but then after the because actually our kickstarter was about a year ago now uh, a little bit less than right. that and um once we were successfully funded uh we took what we'd learned from the x and a game in terms of game design right uh, but threw away everything else like art and sound assets and all the code and rebuilt it from the ground up in unity um okay. and that was my first experience with unity i'd uh, been reading about it prior to that but that was my first time using it and how did you guys um, make a decision to go with Unity? Had someone on the team been using it or um, uh, how, how did you get there? So none of us had used it before. I think, I, well, let me say that. I, I think a couple of us had sort of played around with it, but none of us had used it on a serious project. Uh, what we did is we looked at a lot of the different competing um, uh, middleware solutions that were out there. And Unity seemed to have the right uh, set of features we were looking for at a right. good price. Right. And although there was a lot of things that went into it, I'll tell you the thing that was sort of the killer selling point for us was the fact that you could distribute to so many different platforms relatively easily. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a killing point for a lot of people, specifically me. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Oh, that's, that's, yeah, that's excellent. So um, I was taking a look at your, your Kickstarter page and I think like your goal was uh, $10,000. And mm -hmm. um that seems incredibly low for for what you're offering. How did you get to that number? Was that just to cover like a couple of packs of ramen and some copies of Unity? Basically. <laughs> so actually, uh, there were a lot of things that we sort of researched and debated when we were setting up our Kickstarter. And the thing that we had the most heartache over was how much money to ask for. Right. And uh, we got kind of uh, a lot of conflicting advice. Some people were like, the game you're talking about making uh, deserves a lot more money than this. Uh, right. Ask for more. And then I think that they were, you know, were right as far as they went. Then there were other people that said, you're all unknowns. Most of you have very little experience. You're fresh out of school. Ask for less. And I think from their perspective, they were, they were also basically right. Right. Um, so we settled on 10,000 uh, kind of, it, it had two things. One was that, this was the absolute bare minimum that we could envision creating the game uh, that we wanted to make with. And right. uh, the other is that uh, it was just sort of a figure that we were comfortable with. We didn't really want to go any less um, because we <laughs> felt like, you know, it's sort of like a minimum barrier to entry. Like if you're, if you're for a video game, if your product can be made on less than that, is it really even worth the donation? Or at least that's what we were afraid people would think. Right, right. Well, I mean, like, it, yeah, I, I, I certainly don't, I'm, I'm proud that you guys did that. I just, I just don't see how you could have done it for such a, such a low number. Um, I heard that maybe what, uh, what helps is all you guys are working on this after hours. Yes. So we've got a, an unusually large team and, um, Fortunately, uh, most of us uh, are were in positions where we were able to get our bills paid in some other fashion. And so we kind of looked at it as like, well, we'll put in this first year's worth of work, uh, kind of just like to prove that we've got what it takes. And right. then hopefully uh, after that, money will follow. We'll see. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think but yeah, uh, we, in addition to Unity, we there were a number of other things that we had to pay for out of that 10 K, but we have not paid ourselves. So none of us has really seen a dime yet. <laughs> right. No, absolutely. Um, how, how big is your team? You said you have a large team. 
Large but indie standards. So we started out with 10 people um, and uh, two of them have moved on. Uh, one in particular because he did need to be making more money. He has a couple of kids to support. Right, um, right. And then uh, we've also been joined by uh, a new person. So we're nine at the moment. There's three coders, uh, one musician, and five artists of different types. And then, of course, we all wear other hats as well, doing you know QA and business and things wow. like that. Well, I mean, like uh, usually when 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 guys are kind of fresh out of college, you got a lot of like enthusiasm, but. Um, you know, usually lack the industry experience to manage a team of this size. You guys seem to be doing pretty well. How how do you manage everyone? That's a really good question. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> well, and I say that in part because I haven't been asked this before. Um, it's kind of been a couple of things. There are a couple people on the team who actually do have a, a fair bit of experience already. Okay. Our lead artist, uh, Becky Pennock, has worked on... Um, I don't remember the exact number, but I want to say, you know, five to 10 small-ish indie games in the past. Right. And then uh, our lead uh, programmer, Brendan Wanlass, uh, previously worked uh, at a small um, group that did various kind of mobile app development. Right. And then I have uh, a good bit of uh, leadership experience in a volunteer capacity. I've, uh, for the past three years, have helped run... Uh, Utah's largest anime convention. Right. Um, okay. So uh, that it's very different, but in some ways it's actually surprisingly similar, like the kinds of things you have to keep track of. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I and mean, then, it's all herding cats, right? Yes, definitely. <laughs> and then I think the other thing is that we've just been blessed with a very committed uh, team. Like everybody's really ambitious and not to say we haven't had our differences. We certainly have. Right. But uh, we've been able to move past them. Oh, that's, so. that's super impressive. Um, really grateful. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, well, I, I mean, we've I've taken a look at um, on the Kickstarter page. One of the uh, reviews, the one that I was getting at, is um, is the indiegames.com says the physics feel incredibly polished um, and facilitates some pretty ingenious challenges. Um, and you were quite involved with the physics, were you not? I was on like a coding level, not. Right. Uh, to a lesser extent as design, but yeah, I can't say there's really two things that we prioritized from day one. And one was we wanted the controls to feel really good and to be as intuitive as possible. Right. And the other is that we wanted the physics to really, uh, like we wanted a, a strong sense of flow. Right. Um, and the, so the physics had to be smooth. Uh, I'm not going to say they're perfect, but they're they're as close to perfect as we've been able to push them. Yeah. <laughs> Physics is never... People seem to like them. Oh, that's fantastic. So do you have any inspiration for the physics feel that you were going for? Like other games that were kind of uh, what you were trying to go for? Yes. So uh, there's a, a number of different things that we looked at, but our number one inspiration was actually Portal. Um so oh. a lot of times when people think about Portal, they not surprisingly think of the portals. But there were a couple of people on our team, myself included, where really the thing that I took away from the experience of playing Portal the most was just the sense of momentum, where it's like, you know, there's a lot of games where you shoot things, but in Portal, you're shooting yourself. You know, you right, are the projectile. Right. Gotcha. So we kind of wanted to have that same sort of feeling, but in 2D. Right. Um, and then there were a number of other games that we looked at as well. Uh, I know one that 
uh, I kind of focused on early on in development was Super Metroid, actually, because oh. of that uh, grapple beam that <laughs> yes. you get about halfway through the game. Uh, the reason that that's stuck out in my head is because although what you can do with the grapple beam is much more limited than what you can do in our game, it does have this very nice, smooth feel. You can move very easily once you get the hang of it from yeah. one like anchor point to the next. I was uh, a, that's something we've tried to emulate. I was a big Metroid fan. It was actually one of the first games I ever got addicted to. On the Game Boy, was, um, I think it was Metroid 2. Yes. Oh my god! And then since then, just super fanboy. I loved the like the when it was just um, a kind of a two D platformer. I found it was a brilliant game. Um, one of the things that I loved so much about Metroid was the fact that they would show you areas you couldn't get to. Um, so you're constantly running around, seeing stuff you can't get to, knowing that that at some point you will get to it. Um, is there anything like that in your game? Uh, so. I have to say first, like, I, I really strongly agree with you. Like, I, I've enjoyed all of the Metroid games, and especially uh, uh, Metroid 3. I, I sunk a lot of hours into as a young person. <laughs> right. um, unfortunately, that specific quality, there really isn't, because we one of the other games that we looked at a lot, uh, not from a physics perspective, but from sort of a level design perspective, was Super Meat Boy. Um, uh, gotcha. We started out, actually, the game did start out uh, before the Kickstarter as kind of like this much more exploration-heavy open-world sort of thing. But once we saw people playing it, we very quickly realized that the the things in the game that they liked would be better presented in these kind of bite-sized chunks. Yeah, gotcha. So, no, you get one challenge at a time in ours. <laughs> no, no, that's good. I mean, you, you have to make a choice. And if, if you were focusing so much on flow, then, um, you know, then I think you did the right thing. Um, yeah, because you, you definitely got you to gotta have this, this, this whole vibe. You got to get the motion right. And then you got to have that got to give that player that feeling of like, oh, I've done this thing perfectly at the end. So I think you've done a good job there. Um, was there anything specifically challenging about working with the physics? Yes, indeed there was. Um, so <laughs> the thing that was challenging to us was that, uh, and maybe a more experienced team would have, wouldn't have had this issue, but uh this was the first time we'd ever tried to implement a two-dimensional game using a three-dimensional physics system because uh, we started on Unity before they had the built-in uh, uh, 2D game support. Right. And um, for the most part, it's been very straightforward. Uh, but toward the end of the dev cycle, there were certain physics um, just bugs that we had a really hard time nailing down, and almost all of them could be attributed uh to the fact that we were kind of like forcing this 3d system to behave as though it were 2d right uh i think another thing that played a little bit of a role is that we didn't fully understand uh how the physics simulation in unity handles objects at a small scale when uh, we started uh, yes um it's definitely been a learn as you go process for us but yeah th i mean that was really the only problem but it was a significant a roadblock for us for a while it took a while to fix those issues yeah that's i mean um i don't do many physics-based games uh, 2d physics-based games that i have played around with um i've just you know before the unity 
2D physics came out, um, I would just lock the z-axis. I'm sure you guys did that. Um, what can you tell us, like specifically, how you know you locked the z-axis? What were those little things, just so that the listeners can be aware of them before they start their 2D physics game? Okay, cool. Yeah, that is a good thought. So that is exactly what we did. Um, we locked the uh, the 2D. We locked every item to a certain plane in the right. z-axis. Right. Um, the the reason it became tricky is that for us, most of our in-game assets are literally 2D, but we have a few that are actually 3D models. And for various other reasons, some of these, it made more sense for them to be at a different depth from one another, either right. for visual reasons so that they would draw properly right. or... Um, I don't remember off the top of my head what else, but I know there was like sort of non-physics reasons why it was much easier to load them at maybe like, you know, Z minus two instead of Z minus seven. Um, And so in order to account for that, we had to have bounding boxes that stretched into the distance Z wise. Mm -hmm. And uh, there was just a lot of kind of corner cases with those where, you know, you'd sort of think it through on paper and be like, okay, well, when the player contacts this, uh, X will happen. And that case is very clear. Or like when this rolling magnet contacts this, Y will happen. And that case is very clear. But when all three things come together, suddenly it's not as clear anymore. Like it would behave in ways we didn't expect because not all of the things were exactly lining up on the uh, Z plane. Right. Gotcha. Oh my so, gosh. <laughs> and then the other thing I kind of alluded to is that when we started, we didn't realize that the uh, the Unity physics simulation does much better with, um, like, there's cur- certain... Uh, scales? I, yeah, I guess constraints, I'd say, in terms of, like, the scales of the object and, you know, uh, like, velocities and... Um, oh, I can't think of the word, but, like, the dampening on rotation, things right. like that. Right, right. Um, And uh, it's actually all in the documentation, but we kind of took this as like, oh, it's a suggestion. And uh, once we got into it, it's like, no, they really mean it. Like, so one thing that I'd say to anybody thinking about going down this route is don't make anything at a scale less than one. Uh, At least if you plan on having it move at a high velocity at a certain point in the game, because uh, you'll just get tunneling and objects embedding into each other. Right. Um, yeah, that was another thing we learned the hard way. <laughs> yeah, sure. Did you guys like um, have to write your own kind of collision detection stuff where you say, okay, I now detect that my projectile has gone through something it shouldn't go through. I need to do like a ray cost and check where it actually should have collided and then move it back. So we tried that and it didn't work very well for us because at least from reading online, it sounds like that's a solution that other people who've run into this problem have uh, taken. Right. But um, uh, the reason it didn't, like it solved the problem, but then there were like these unexpected side effects. Like for example, if you're, so one mechanic that happens a lot in our game is that the player will be dragging uh, a magnet behind them along the floor and uh, uh, it would just jitter um, because instead of rolling on the floor, there would be too many times when the, um, uh, when the system would think that the magnet was, uh, you know, passing into it. Right. And so it would like bump it up a little bit. Right. And 
I forget what some of the other ones were, but there were a lot of like visual artifacts like that. And yeah, uh, yeah. Um, we did do some custom ray casting to determine when the player is able to jump. So there's some stuff like that in the state machine to figure out, like, are you standing on the kind of thing that you can jump on? Okay. Uh, because as far as I'm familiar, I, I don't think uh, Unity has a way of reporting that sort of information uh you know, without using triggers or something, right. which you didn't want to do. Right. Well, it sounds like you guys guys worked hard on that. I mean, I know that um, the only thing that I've been aware of with scale was uh, to make sure that my physics object weren't super huge. Um, so uh, can I ask what the scale of your character was in Unity units? Do you know offhand? Right. So the character as a whole... Uh, I think was about two and a half units in their greatest dimension. Right. Um, but the area where we ran into trouble is like a lot of 2D platformers, the the core um, uh, motive force, I guess you'd say, is this little uh, wheel that's attached to the bottom of the character. Right. And that provides like traction against the ground and things like that. And that was initially uh, just, un- I think it was like 0.45 unity units. Um Ooh, okay. which is like perfectly fine 90% of the time. And then the rest of the time you get stuck in the floor unexpectedly, or, right. you know, you're, you're stuck to another magnet and <laughs> yeah, that was totally game breaking. <laughs> so, Oh geez. So you guys suggest having nothing smaller than one unit. Yeah. I mean, we really, it was like, as soon as we made that change, uh, most of the problems that we had just disappeared. Right. Um, and it actually does say that in the documentation. It just didn't say it in strong enough words for us to get the message. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, I'll make sure that um, if I see any of the folks from Unity, just to have them bold and make right. that, like, you know, 100 <laughs> points in the documentation. Right. Well, that I mean, that, that's cool. I mean, physics is always a, a tricky beast um, at best. So you I guys, yeah, to, to tackle that is good. Um you were also talking about a custom trigger system that you guys had built uh, that you were involved with. Uh, can so, you talk? yeah. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, it, it's really more of like a, an additional layer on top of the Unity system than it is like an entire system in and of itself. Um, and it was designed basically to simplify uh, interacting with the trigger system to cut down on the amount of code that we'd have to write. So to give you a little bit of... Um, backstory on this when we were working on the xna prototype uh i wrote the trigger system for that um basically from scratch right and it was fairly sophisticated like uh at least from by our standards it was fairly sophisticated there were all sorts of different like features that we had designed into it because you know we were college students and we were like, sky's the limit, you know? So um, (laughs) like, for example, you could have like triggers that triggered one another and you could have these amazing cascading effects where like, you know, if this timer has passed and uh, this object is in this area of the level or is in this quadrant, then, you know, these sorts of things happen and these other things will happen once that first row has completed. We never used any of that (laughs) there are so many features in that xna game and it's not just the trigger system like all over the game has so many features that we just never had the time to put to use in any of the levels so i kind of came into the unity version thinking okay i don't want to do this mistake again like so we very carefully outlined 
like what what areas of this functionality did we actually use right. and then you know what do we need to do to achieve this um and so what we did is there's a base class that has uh, a couple of uh, built-in things that it looks for um uh, it lo- so you can set in the unity editor what uh, either what class of object will cause this trigger to trigger or what specific game entity by by name i think is how we did it right. that will cause this trigger to trigger and then uh, a few other parameters like that and so this is like a, a subclass or excuse me so this is a parent class and then we have a, a variety maybe maybe a dozen to 20 uh, subclasses, each of whom inherit uh, basic trigger functionality from this. So there's a number of different things that are that are built in there, like uh, when you trigger, um, how the the triggering stuff is serialized and deserialized, and uh, it's it's been a couple of months, and the rest is has faded out of my mind. But <laughs> that's the the general idea is that um, it was sort of a way of um, making the features that we wanted in the unity system more immediately accessible so that for example, artists could go in and it was very clear. Okay. I I just have to set this one field Mm. and you know, I shouldn't have to touch the code after that. Uh, And it's worked. That part has worked very well for us. We haven't had any issues. Yeah. That, that that particular functionality of, um, of unity and the particular mindset is quite mature. Um, Just basically making not only cool tech, um, not only making cool tech that is just what you need, but making cool tech that's just what you need that is also uh, kind of user-friendly to the people who are going to use it, like the artists or the level designers. Um, so, yeah, that's that's really good. Um, talking about, like, kind of making stuff for level designers, I find that the biggest problem of having folks move over to Unity is them getting used to how to deal with the component-based architecture of Unity, you know, versus having um, a uh, like a main command that everything starts from. Um, how did you approach moving from XNA to Unity dealing with the component system? So that's, that's another really good question that no one has asked before. Um, so actually, we kind of had a, a, a step up on that because um, a couple of, gosh, all right, a number of years back now, I had worked on a summer project with uh, a different team where we just, you know, for the heck of it, had decided to write our own uh, C++ game engine. It never went anywhere, but it was a a learning project. And we decided to do it uh, component entity driven. Mm -hmm. So um, I'd kind of already gone through like the difficult, like, okay, this is not the OOP that I'm used to (laughs) on that project. And uh, another coder on the team, Andrew, had, uh, had similar experiences. So when we first formed... It was one of the very first things we discussed is that Andrew and I were like, we're going to do this component entity even in XNA. So we, uh, our XNA version was also component entity driven. And we, there was a C-sharp port of a actually really nice component entity library called uh, Artemis that we used. Um, the C-sharp port is very good, but uh, like a lot of ports, not super well documented. Yeah. So um, <laughs> oh, no. that, there was, there were some issues there, but um, by the time we got to unity, we were all very familiar with this already. So basically we hit the ground running 
And uh, for I don't know if this is typical of people from the art side, but in our case, at least, they all seem to get the idea really easily. Um, we didn't yeah. get any difficulty. I found that, like, um, yeah, that artists and game designers, it's pretty much um, how how they think. They're very happy with the idea of, like, oh, this is the thing I need to work with, and then I put something on here and it works. Um, I know programmers usually kind of get a bit offended by the whole idea where they're just like, wait a minute, what about optimization? If I'm putting five right. scripts on something, surely this can't be running fast. Um, and it's a little bit of a hurdle that, that I find a lot of you know good programmers have to get over when they get into Unity. But once they get it, man, they're kind of all over it. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm a big believer in it myself. And I kind of uh, so I came from a, a background originally as a hobbyist where I was very like interested in stuff that's sort of like uh, code that's written close to the metal, you know, like my, one of, some of my very first projects were in assembly and wow. uh, I, not that I was ever good at it. But that is, <laughs> that is kind of where I started for historical reasons. And so even just like going to OOP was this like, I had some of that hurdle for me, um, but especially like going to middleware, I was like, Oh, there's so many parts of this system. I don't understand. But once I kind of dealt with that and was like, it, it became that, it, you know, it was the same sentence, but I would say it in the voice. There's so many parts of this system. I don't have to understand. Exactly. <laughs> um, so yeah, I really think that once, you know, if, if you've chosen a good engine and you know that it runs well on a particular platform, you don't really worry about efficiency. Like that's, you know, for the people making the next call of duty, that's that's not for the indies so much. (laughs) No, no, I agree. But I I mean, like I find a lot of indies are are people who are are generally just interested in technology, right? They want to do something cool and I want to make a game because games are cool. Um, And I find a lot of indies get hamstrung. Well, back before there was unity and these, these kind of easily affordable and accessible uh, engines, they get all stuck up in making the engine of the game. And then like three years later, I'd see them and they'd be like, yeah, I made this engine. And I'm like, what about that cool game that you were going to make? They're like, ah, I'm getting to it. And um, so these days, like usually when I see people, it's like, you've got to make the choice. Like either you're going to be an engine programmer or a game programmer, or you're going to get a grant for like a couple of million dollars a month and be both of them, but you can't, you can't do the two. Otherwise, you know, you're just never going to get through everything. I completely agree with everything you've said. And I think for me, it was the experience of having a game out there and people having fun with it where I was like, you know what? I mean, I'll always be a coder at heart. I love coding. That's fun. Yeah. But seeing the delight in people's eyes ah, with yes. a product that I've finished is so much more fun. So I'm like, yeah, okay, that's cool. If this gets me there faster, I'll do it. Yeah. No, no, I agree. That that delight is certainly kind of the honey for, for game developers, right? Because, um, I mean, as far as a, a programming discipline goes, I think it's one of the hardest. Um, I've worked in a lot of kind of different disciplines where it's like web or server-based or applications. Um, and, um, I just find that, that, you know, people are so passionate about games and that's why it's got so many people doing it, but it certainly is one of the hardest because it's, you can't just take a pattern that you used before and just plunk it on. Like there's always something new about the game. Um, so, uh, but it's that delight that just keeps on, you know, keeps you coming back to it, which is good. You would yeah, talk- I really, really agree. Um, you were talking about the previous game where you're talking about the prototype that you had done before and seeing people play that. 
Right. So uh, we did the the first version of our game we called Magnetic by Nature Awakening, and it was uh, released on uh, Xbox Live Indie. Um, Yeah, and it it was. I mean, so the feedback that we usually got was that for a student project, it was very good. And I think that there are certain parts of it that are very good. And then there are certain parts of it where you can definitely tell it needs work still. Um, uh, How did... did Go ahead. Sorry. How did you guys monetize on um, on Xbox Live Indie? Did it do well, or was there kind of the traditional, you know, two day spike and then the big drop off? So, uh, it, I don't remember exactly how the sales went um, in terms of like whether it was a you know a two day spike. It probably was. I know for us, um, we kind of showed up in the twilight days of uh, Xblig anyhow. So we, we literally never expected to make money. Uh, This was, uh, the project started as a a school project and uh, we were required for our class to develop a game that would be released commercially. And uh, this was the the way that we did that. So we just charged a dollar for it. Um, Given the scenario, I think it went well. Um, I believe if my memory serves me that we had like a 14% conversion rate, which I'm told is pretty good. Yeah. Um, for nice that one. plat that channel, um, but it's still like you know, not enough that you could retire on, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I just I, I remember being thor- thoroughly disappointed with Xbox Live uh, Indie. You know, kind of like you checking in, and you're like, I'm so excited, and you're like, I have made three dollars, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, like tons of people have downloaded the game, but I've made three dollars. It's uh, yeah, I think you know. Um, that I think one of the things that has that I've loved about this team so much is that we went into the project uh, sort of with two things in our head. One was that this is our first game as a team. It's not going to be great. We don't expect to make any money. And the second thing was that, you know, this is a class project, but we're more ambitious than that. A class doing well in class is not enough for us. Right. So from the very, literally from the very beginning of the class project, we were thinking about where will we go with this after school is over. Um, right. So uh, even before, you know, and then that was when we started thinking about things like, you know, do we want to switch to unity? Because we knew we'd be leaving X and A behind. Um, the writing was sort of on the wall right. from Microsoft at that point. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I mean, like, that's great. Sounds like you guys got a real shot at having a, a nice, well, a strong title and a strong company. So really hope the best. Oh, um, thank you very much. Yeah. Um, so I'm taking a look at the, the platforms your game's going to support. It's like, you know, Windows, Apple, and um, and Linux. Um, are you are you guys planning to move to other platforms afterwards? Uh, we are. So uh, on the Kickstarter, we... Uh, we promised those three that you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Uh, since then, we have actually also um, uh, we're also going to be releasing on the Ouya, um, and that was uh, kind of a that's another thing we'd thought about since very early days. But um, it, we ended up submitting our game to Indiecade. We were not selected, but um, one of the judges kind of started uh, tap someone else on the shoulder, and the conversation started going. And uh, it ended up with uh, us um, deciding, yeah, okay, let's go ahead. Let's also do Ouya. Um, just because uh, like the um, 
like the other platforms that you mentioned, mm -hmm. it's open. So we could start working on it right away. And there's a low cost entry. Um, but at the same time, we are also thinking about uh, other larger platforms that we'd like to be on. Right. We definitely have our eyes set on some, but uh, we feel like uh, we got to make it shine on these the okay. initial platforms first. Um, gotcha. Well, um, I, I mean, I, can, I know that for a lot of indies, and specifically indies using um, Unity, uh, the PlayStation 3 and 4 has been like a big target. Um, um, and I'm not sure where Microsoft's standing. I know that they, they're kind of picking themselves back up again on the indie scale with this stuff. I just had a great chat with a guy called Adam Tuliper, who is in charge of uh, the Windows 8, Windows 8 mobile stuff. And they're really receptive now. Um, so I think that the Xbox guys might be following suit. Um, have you guys been thinking about the play PlayStation 3 and 4? Do you have any discussions on the go? So I, I can't uh, Disclose. talk okay. about details. But what I can say, speaking uh, especially just for myself, is I would love to see Magnetic by Nature on every single major console. Right. Um, I'd also love to see it on uh, the 3DS and the PS Vita. Um We've talked about doing, and actually we get requests a lot to do like a, a mobile version, like for iPad or something right. like that. And uh, I, I can't swear that it's not going to happen, but it's it would mean totally redesigning the interface yeah. and probably completely redesigning all the levels. And that would be a huge amount of work. So it's yeah. not going to happen soon, at least. Yeah. Now, I was taking a look at the, the, the gameplay, and it seems, you know, definitely PC viable and controller viable, but... Um, it's pretty hard to do a touch version of a game like that. Um, I was looking at Double Fine's uh, The Cave. And although mm -hmm. it runs well on mobile, um, it still is not as tight an experience as it is on, you know, on console or PC. So I think that's a good call. Um, yeah. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the business side. You say that you've been doing a little bit of the business stuff and, um, uh, what's been keeping you busy on that side? Uh, <laughs> boy, everything it feels like. <laughs> so, um, all kinds of things like, uh, there's, I mean, everything from like, uh, you know, like you'd mentioned team management, fortunately our lead animator, uh, Kyle Chittenden, he also acts as our producer. So he does most of that. Um, but, uh, a lot of like the legal stuff, like, uh, none of us are business students. None of us right. have any background with that. So I kind of, over the past, um, uh, gosh, must be like eight months now, went through this sort of crash course on like, you know, how do you set up uh, a company? Should I be an LLC or should it be an S corp? You know, like things right. like that. <laughs> yeah. Um, how do I write a business plan? Like, how do I, oh my gosh, I've got nine mouths to try and feed. What do you know? How do we define our revenue? Like right. things like that. And then also the side that I'm kind of more excited about because it's it's closer to home for me is um, uh, sort of organizing like uh, public events that we go to. Right. Uh, something the whole team really believes in strongly is getting as much player feedback as we can. Uh, I was going to say as early in the process, but really just through the whole process end to end. Um, so we've been basically we do at least one local event every single month where we show off the game and we uh, get people to play it and give us 
feedback. And then right. we try to go to as many big events as we can afford. Right. Um, so in 2013, we went to GDC and that was this huge moment for us. That was really, I think, when it crystallized and we were like, yes, this team is going to try and stay together. Um, nice. And then uh, we've uh, this year we're hoping to go to PAX and then we've got a whole bunch of other uh, places we'd also like to show the game at. We just uh, two weeks ago were at our local Salt Lake Comic Con, right. which has been growing phenomenally. It's now, oh, I'm going to say this wrong. It's like the third largest Comic Con in the nation now. We had wow. uh, around 100,000 attendees this year. Jeez. So, um, yeah, that was huge. Like, I, I've done a lot of conventions uh, as an attendee myself, but these were new numbers for me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that uh, kept us all very busy. It was a lot of fun. And two of us got disastrously ill afterwards. <laughs> oh no. Um, are you guys planning to, to go to Unite um, up in Seattle this year? I would love to. Um, so that's something we've looked at, but uh, we haven't, uh, we haven't committed to it yet. We, we are on a still pretty slim budget, so we need to see what we can stretch it to. Right. Gotcha. Um, I was following a lot of the um, videos that people were posting from Unite though. It seems like it would be the place to be. Yeah. It's, um, it's, Seems like I mean this is going to be my first year there, so I'm really excited. Um, every other year, I kind of missed it by some chance. You know, either there was a deadline or you know somebody didn't book the tickets. So um, out of a comedy of errors, this is going to be the first one, and I'm kind of really excited. Uh, a lot of the other conferences are very, you know, kind of general. I love GDC; it's really cool. Um, but uh, you know, when I'm looking for technical information, I think Unite's going to be awesome, just because you can sink your teeth into it. Um, so it's going to be good. I hope you guys can make it. Uh, yeah, it'd be exciting. We should definitely uh, say hi if uh, yeah, we're able to get up there. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, get all the Collective Mass Radio alumni together and uh, and have a drink. It would be good. Yeah, that'd um, be great. When are you guys planning to release Man Magnetic by Nature? So we do not have an exact release date yet because there's a couple of factors uh, playing into it that are out of our hands. Right. But um, the Ouya version uh, should be releasing very, very soon. Um, I'm going to, and this is just me guessing, we're going to hazard a guess like within the next four weeks kind of thing. Oh, wow. Um, and at that time, we'll also be getting the the PC version to our backers. Right. Um, and then just a couple of weeks ago, we were greenlit on Steam. So we'll get it. onto Steam as quickly as we can. But there's, you know, both business and technical stuff we got to work out right. between now and then. So I, I expect it will be uh, a little bit still before we're up there. Excellent. Well, I mean, like yeah. talking about the end of the project, um, you know, now it's time to, to hunt bugs and kill them. How, right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like it, it's a task in itself. How, how... What has been the biggest issue that you found with Unity in hunting bugs? I mean, um, one of the problems that I found is you can't have like breakpoints, which is usually very useful. Um, I was just wondering if you can describe um, kind of a typical scenario of, you know, you get a bug um, and, and what Unity could probably do better in helping you find that bug. Sure. Like I, I would say, first of all, I think it depends on the class of bug. Like there's certain things that, 
it's been very easy. Um, like, especially anything that has to do with a prefab, you can just, you know, switch over to the, out of your, your game view to another view and just look at yeah. uh, the values. And that's great. Um, especially once we figured out, you could look at even, you could even inspect private values in the editor. Yeah. Um, the the area where we've had more trouble has been uh, basically what you say. Like uh, I work on the on the Mac side these days, um, and uh, Mono Develop doesn't run as well on OS X as it does on Windows. Oh yes, um, at least not the version that's bundled with Unity. So I've been forced to use the uh, the version that's not bundled with Unity, which means that I can't attach to the process. So yeah, there's no breakpoints for me. Ah, <laughs> uh, that sucks. Um, yeah, I mean, like I actually wrote a little article on the blog about it. I mean, like the um, I'm a you know I'm a Mac convert now too, and um, the latest version of of Mono developers is horrendous. Well, in, in my opinion, I mean, like it looks beautiful. I wish it ran well, but just like kind of you know, the folding, the, the, yeah, right. the code folding breaks all the time. And so I reverted back to using the previous version of Mono that came with, with Unity. I haven't tried um, seeing if it will attach, but maybe you can try doing that. That might help. I, I've read a, n- a number of people have been doing that. And, you know, it's kind of like, it's sort of a toss-up. Like I was talking with one of our other coders, Dave, the other day, and we were both kind of saying, you know, the more IDEs we've experienced with, the more we just come to feel like we hate all IDEs. (laughs) (laughs) Because each of them has like a strong field and then a really not strong field. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that honestly is the top of my Unity wish list. I, I hope that at some point, They'll have it will make sense for them to devote the resources to bringing the the Mac side of Mono Develop up to par with uh, the Windows side. Yeah, hopefully, um, you know what four point five, four point six. <laughs> you never know. That would be great. Yeah. <laughs> um, how about tracking down physics bugs? I mean, those were usually a huge pain in the rear for me. Um, how do you go about solving those? Right. So that was a big a big issue, especially early on in the bug hunting process, because it wasn't clear to us how to reproduce them a lot of the time. Right. Like, uh, and there were sort of two phases of that. Like the first one was kind of like a, on the level of the, the wetware where we just kind of had to wrap our heads around the problem. And basically it was just seeing a lot, seeing the game in the hands of a lot of players and watching them do things we would never have thought to do until we could kind of form these classifications in ah, our head. Gotcha, like gotcha. this is this kind of bug and this is that. And once we'd done that sort of like mapped it out, um, then, uh, then what we did is we uh, sort of built or had discovered levels that would generate the bug very frequently. And so then we just, you know, play it over, not necessarily play the level from start to finish over and over, but we do the activity where we most frequently saw the bug over and over again. And then when it would show up, you know, we do things like figure out, okay, well, what exactly was happening when this happened? And uh, it was sort of like a, a several step process, but you could get to the point where you you could eliminate enough variables uh enough potential interactions to say, okay, well, it must be something to do with the way this is colliding with that or you right. know, something. And then, you know, once you'd narrowed it down that far, then you could, you'd go to the code and say, okay, well, it has to be happening in these sections, or it would become clear that it's not our code. It's that we're not using the unity physics engine properly. And gotcha. then 
then you you go to Google, which is <laughs> the most scary. <laughs> so, uh, did you guys ever end up having like one of those um, you know brute force catch-alls where you're like, okay, if the player is here, there's no way they should be here, so you know we're just gonna push you back here magically. You know, it's the 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 ninety nine point nine nine um yeah ninety nine 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 chances that a player won't get here, uh, but we've seen it once or twice. Did you guys ever do any of that? Not in a big way. Um, uh, like uh, I think we mentioned earlier, we did kind of have that specifically for collisions for a while where, you know, if something was embedded in something or it was on the wrong side of something, then we'd move it back, but it ended up not working out real well for us. Um, And then we do have like, so kind of, you know, the way most, especially most game projects go is like the stuff that we wrote early on is really nice, well thought out code. Yeah. And then the stuff we've written in the last couple of months <laughs> is like, okay, I'm hacking this together because I know that this will only ever happen this one way. The player will approach from the top and then this needs to move in this fashion, you know, right. so object orientation, <laughs> entity component, we don't need any of that. It's yeah, strictly yeah. procedural. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah, we have a few isolated areas where we've done something like that but um in general no we don't have like a major um like there's no there's nothing that runs an update to to check certain that certain things are true or not true well done well that's that's very good um i kind of like that's it from the questions from my side you guys seem to have a fantastic product and also a fantastic knowledge and it seems like a fantastic team um, so I really wish the best for you and, um, yeah, just, uh, I hope that the guys from unity give you some support. I hope you guys get to go to, uh, unite. Um, but above all, I hope that the listeners will, uh, support you guys and buy your product. Well, thank you so much. I've really enjoyed being on the show and we'll definitely uh, start listening to the podcast. No, thank you. Um, is there any way that our users can get a hold of you, like a Twitter handle or like a website that they should go to, to see the game? Yes. So I am on Twitter personally. Uh, my uh, handle is P underscore Ashlyn, A-S-H-L-Y-N-N. And then the the team is also on as at Team Triple Slash. Uh, we're also on Facebook as Team Triple Slash. And we have uh, the game's website is uh, magneticbynature.com. It is in desperate need of a facelift at the moment, <laughs> but uh, if we do our jobs right, hopefully the, maybe by the time people hear this, it'll be fixed. <laughs> Fantastic. Great. Um, well, that's it. Thank you very much.